Hello, Covenant. So one quick announcement here. We have the Senior Laugh Track Show this Friday, April 21st. It's going to be 10 p.m. in the chapel. Doors open at 9.30 p.m. and it's free. Um, also, due to popular public opinion, you might find Jolly Ranchers and Animal Crackers under your seats if you want to check for those. Um, and I have the privilege of introducing our first speaker. I'll give you all a minute. <laughs> all right, so James Dillon um, is our first speaker. He is an economics major. Uh, James comes from Charlotte, North Carolina. He has um, three siblings, an older brother, Stephen, who graduated two years ago. And then his younger brother, Andrew, is here. He's a current freshman. And then a younger sister, who's in high school. Um, I've been uh, good friends with James since freshman year, and I know his biggest annoyance is bananas. Um, he loves to ride his road bike, and I've heard he knits in his free time. Um, aside from that, James is a wise man, um, and he's always willing to serve others, and I've become good friends with him since freshman year. So please welcome James Dillon. Okay. Good morning. Uh, thank you, Jonah, for that introduction. It really is a joy and a privilege to be here with you all today. I'm excited and honored to be able to share for a little while this morning about my experiences at Covenant and the truths that I've learned along the way. Uh, thank you to the senior class for this opportunity. So I thought I'd start off this morning by sharing a quick list of lessons I've learned during my four years as a student at Covenant. Some of these are pretty obvious and some of them not so much. Some you probably already know through basic common sense and social skills, while others of you may not have thought of them before. Hopefully you can learn from at least one or two of these. Number one, uh, and perhaps the most important, came from my first semester of freshman year. If you remember nothing else from this talk, remember this. Do not under any circumstances pour melted candle wax down your bathroom sink. <laughs> it will solidify. Your plumbing will be clogged for weeks. The fireball cleaner will not fix it. Facilities will have to be called, and your roommates will make fun of you for years to come. <laughs> Number two, freshman 15 is a very real thing. If you live in the same building as your food and always go back for seconds, you just might gain a little bit of weight. Number three, if some friends ask you to jump in Jackson Pond during the first snow of the year, always say yes. <laughs> it'll be really cold, but it'll be worth it. Number four, winning intramural t-shirts is less about your own athletic abilities but more about the athletic abilities of your friends. If you want to win one, or maybe three next year, you should probably get on Andrew Dillon's team. Number five, as it turns out, yoga is a lot harder than it looks. Shout out to Danny Lloyd for getting me to go to yoga club with him last year. Number six, there are good and there are some not so good spots to kiss on campus. I learned that one the hard way. Number seven, if you get the chance, you should definitely take tennis class with Coach Hurdy. I might have majored in tennis if I could have. Number eight, all-nighters are really never, ever worth it, unless your friend gets bit by a copperhead around midnight and you have to take her to get anti-venom at the nearest ER. Then it's worth it. On a separate note, it helps to wear closed-toed shoes while hiking in the woods at night. 
Number nine, I highly recommend making the hour and 20 drive, 20 minute drive to Rome, Georgia on a Saturday morning for the Chick-fil-A breakfast buffet. However, don't play basketball after eating three plates of said breakfast. You'll probably get sick like I did. And lastly, number 10, complaining about writing SIP doesn't help you write it any faster. <laughs> All jokes aside, I really have learned a lot during my time at Covenant and hope you feel the same way about your experiences. While I could probably go on for a while with more funny and slightly embarrassing stories, what I really wanted to focus on this morning is one big lesson I've learned over the last four years, both inside and out of the classroom. I decided to steal a page from Z's book and use an old faculty chapel series topic. But instead of this, I believe, I've decided to use my personal favorite, dangerous ideas. This lesson, this dangerous idea, is that it's okay to not be okay. It may be new to some of you as it was to me, while for others, I may be beating a dead horse. However, bear with me if you can as I dig into what it means for me. This lesson, the idea that it's okay to not be okay, is one that took many years for me to learn and something I'm still trying to fully understand. To make sense of this experience of mine, you'll have to know a little bit more about me. I came into Covenant four years ago, as I'm sure many of you did, a little bit wide-eyed and a lot of bit excited about being here. I wasn't really sure what college was all about, but I was eager to find out. I was sure of what I believed, who I thought I was, and where I thought I was headed. I got plugged into my hall, had fantastic roommates, enjoyed, and still enjoy my major. I've had the fairly typical college experience, the one that I expected I might have when I arrived on campus four years ago. But college has also been a lot more than I expect it to be. A lot more of these good things than I just mentioned, but also a lot more of other hard things too. I've had substantial questions about my faith that I'm still wading through. I've had some pretty rough breakups that I'm not proud of, nor would ever want to repeat. I've been to counseling during multiple stages of my life and still haven't really figured out how to open up in that context. I have sin patterns that just don't seem to go away. I've had deaths in the family, disappointment with classes, car accidents that were my fault, and good friendships that I've messed up. If you've passed me on campus and asked, hey James, how's it going? I've probably told you, pretty good man, how are you doing? Even if I wasn't doing so well at all. I'm a broken, sinful individual. And I'm graduating with more questions left unanswered than I had when I started college. However, if Covenant College has taught me one thing, and it's probably taught me a thousand, but this is the one I've found to be most important, it's that I can hold all these things to be true and at the same time hold on to the hope and truth of the gospel. I don't have to internalize all that I feel or experience, but rather I have a God who blatantly asks me to bring it all to him. He provides the only freedom from despair and invites us many times, as he does in Matthew 11, to come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It is okay to not be okay. And this is something I can believe and say today solely because of the wonderfully unbelievable redemption found only in Jesus. This, is, this can only be true because of what we celebrated on Easter this past weekend, the death and resurrection of Christ. It is in his conquering of sin and death that this freedom is truly found. My God is preeminent in all aspects of my life, big and small, and this is not limited to the good or the easy things. It is one thing to say this, but it is another to truly take hold of and believe. 
Perhaps the most helpful and consistent example in my life has been the book of Habakkuk. If you haven't read this book, give it a shot sometime. Dr. Follett started out our semester in 20th century using this book as context for the rest of our studies, and it was probably my favorite lecture I've heard during my time at Covenant. Habakkuk is only a few chapters long, but it so beautifully portrays an individual who doesn't understand the things God is doing and laments his hardships. He questions, cries out, and complains to God, not sure of why things are the way that they are or when the Lord's work would be evident in his life. After going back and forth with God, he concludes with a statement that has become a, become a great comfort and example to me. Habakkuk says in chapter 3, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the herd, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk understood better than most that things were certainly not okay. However, he still made the conscious decision to praise his Lord and trust in his provision. To me, this is the best example of being okay with not being okay. Not taking comfort in one's own plan or ability, but rather trusting the Lord and choosing to worship and work while waiting. As it is with the best lessons in life, this is not something I learned on my own. I've had plenty of experiences, classes, moments, or people I could point to and thank for helping me understand these things the way I do today. I'd like to close my time this morning explaining a few of these, and hopefully you'll see the ways I've learned this and also the ways you can help others understand the freedom in not being okay. Chapel talks from professors like Dr. Kapik who explained the need for others who can believe for us when we don't have the strength to believe ourselves. Or Professor Holstrom, who explained the need for, the need for Puddleglum and showed me that not being okay was not simple. It was not wrong. It was part of doing life, and we need others to help us do it well, even in these times. My roommate, Greer McCollum, showed me that being a friend sometimes looks like listening to someone cry or ask questions without offering a solution or advice. Rushing the process of confusion and questioning can sometimes do more damage than it does good. Listen intently to your friends and let them ask questions of you. My former roommate and recent Covenant grad, Cameron Anderson, showed me what it looks like to dig into lament when he told me that his girlfriend had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Rather than letting it drag him down or define him, he chose to research and write his sip on the psychology of tears he was not in any sense okay with her diagnosis or watching her go through chemo, but he did not shy away from it and instead chose to figure out what the tears meant. I saw this daily in his life in an even more beautiful way at his wedding last summer as he wept tears of joy as she walked down the aisle. Another former roommate, Joel Elmore, showed me the importance of teaching others amidst one's own suffering. Just over a year ago today, he was diagnosed with GBS, a dangerous autoimmune disease that paralyzed him and nearly took his life. My first conversations with Joel after he recovered, as he was recovering, were not filled with complaining, but rather with the lessons that he learned and the truths that he held that got him through such an experience. My older brother and former RA, Stephen Dillon, has always and continues to show me the need for consistent friendship and discipleship in your life, regardless of how you are doing. Everyone needs a friend, or maybe a few if you can find them, who will be the same source of encouragement no matter where you are at. My girlfriend, Marianne Venable, 
has shown me the need for honesty and steadfastness when things aren't okay. I've watched her handle her mom's third different terminal cancer diagnosis in 12 years with more courage than I could ever hope to have. She didn't shy away from the pain or pretend to be able to carry it on her own, but rather learned to ask for help and take things one day at a time, as sometimes that's all we can do. This dangerous idea is a lesson that has taken me four years to learn, and I'm sure is one that will continue for many years to come. This is something I've learned and will continue to learn because of people like you. So Covenant College, as you finish up this school year and look towards the next, I hope you keep doing what you're doing and look for ways to do it even better. Ask hard questions of your friends. Listen when they are confused and sometimes offer silence instead of advice. Give counseling a shot. Seek to understand why you are the way that you are. Share your experiences with others so that they can learn alongside you. And perhaps most importantly, never pour melted candle wax down the sink. Thank you. Good morning. It is uh, my great pleasure to introduce this year's final speaker for the Senior Chapel Testimonies, Andrea Royalston. You were right, by the way. I met Andrea when I was uh, 15 years old. I was a sophomore in high school. She was a freshman. Uh, you know, things, things started off well. We went to the same school. Same youth group, we had a few classes together, had a lot in common, found ourselves compatible, you know, pretty chill. <laughs> that is until she ripped the heart out of my chest and has been running around with it ever since. <laughs> Andrea wears uh, many hats on that beautiful hair of hers. She's a daughter, she's a sister, she's a wife, she's a student, she's a teacher, teammate, coach, friend, mentor, missionary, counselor, and basically all around ninja at life. <laughs> but what you really need to know about Andrea is that she is genuinely joyful, she's deeply loyal, she is steady, she's faithful, she's sincere, she's unapologetically passionate. She's the sort of person that you want to live your life like. No one has ever inspired me the way she has. Andrea has taken me on the greatest adventure of my entire life. She's actually given me a shot at love, at really trying it, in want and in plenty, in repentance and forgiveness, in weeping and in dancing, in life and in death, just as we promised each other. Andrea radiates beauty in a way that I didn't even know was possible. I noticed her when I was a high school student, and now I can't stop noticing her. One of the most delightful things I get to do every day is delight in her. Simply put, it is the greatest privilege of my entire life to be her husband, and I never thought I'd be lucky enough to call her my bride. And it makes me so proud and joyful to listen into her with you all this morning. So please join me in welcoming my best friend and the loveliest woman I've ever known, Andrea Royalston.
Good morning, y'all. It's so good to be before you. Thank you for making me cry, Jack. <laughs> I'm humbled to be able to speak. It's nice having a captive audience. I'm used to telling my six and seven-year-old students not to shout out stories while I'm teaching or to stop picking their nose. So thank you for actually listening. In 1964, folk rock duo Simon and Garfunkel released the song titled The Sound of Silence. The song begins with a simply sung lyric in a tenor voice, hello darkness, my old friend. While the song is stunning, I can't quite agree with that first lyric. Darkness is certainly not my old friend. Darkness is actually a catalyst to me for fear. I wrestle and grapple with fear on a daily basis. This fear I'm speaking of is both a physical and a spiritual fear. A physical fear of being alone and in the dark, frightened. A spiritual fear of God not being real or present. What I've learned from these fears and want you to know today is that Jesus is very real and is with us. This fear manifested itself in different ways as I grew up. As a child, I deeply struggled with being afraid of the dark. Ever since I can remember, I remember being afraid of the dark. <clears throat> but when you're small and there are really seriously monsters under your bed, everyone is afraid. My pink butterfly nightlight helped me cope. So did sleeping with my dogs, which I now understand is kind of weird. My parents and big brother knew this was something particularly challenging to me. So my parents tried to comfort me. My dad always told me, there's nothing there in the dark that wasn't there in the light. My brother would try to exploit it because, well, he's a big brother. I did all I could to cope with the fear, turning every light bulb on in the house, not going out at night, playing music, talking into the darkness, bringing someone or my dogs into a dark room. This is what fear looked like when I was a young girl. Growing up between the awkward stages of life, the ones when you try not to look at photographs from it, I wrestled with fear, but it looked different. Fear was still present, but my fear of the dark morphed into a fear of someone watching me who wasn't God and wasn't trying to protect me. I may have watched too many Law & Order shows with my parents, but my fear of being hurt and left alone in that fear became an unlikely and uninvited companion. As I grew older, going into high school, this ever-present fear I tried to tuck away and hide became an ever-present reality with me at all times. Fear kept me from activities with friends and opportunities to be confident. Fear shackled me, not only in body, but in mind and soul. Its presence was screaming at me every day, though I never spoke of it. Though I was afraid of the dark still, my fears became more like rejection, being forgotten, being left out. It seemed pretty normal, honestly. What I didn't see was that what I struggled with regarding a morphine of this physical and spiritual fears wasn't normal. To be honest, I didn't know it wasn't normal to be totally unnerved when going into a dark room or to jump into bed each night so nothing or no one could grab my feet. You all know what I'm talking about. I didn't know it wasn't normal to sprint from your car to the door after getting home late from work. I don't want to be dramatic, but I can't overemphasize how fear shackled my life at each moment. Getting to covenant, I was afraid of not being known, liked, wanted, or invited to do the cool stuff, like go to an overlook late at night, go on a date dash with another hall, or have a lunch date in the great hall. 
The fear of darkness still clouded my view. And where did the Lord put me to live on campus? In a nearly 100-year-old, used to be abandoned hotel with ghost stories galore on the third floor in the central part. Late at night, before I became a grandma who loves going to bed at 10, I was so scared as I sat in the hallway of 3C until the wee hours of the morning, hoping no one or nothing would creep up either stairwell in the hall. When I lived off campus and my husband was gone for a few days of work, I had to spend the night with friends because I was too afraid to be alone. For that, I am forever grateful. At this point, I failed to trust that God was present with me and real. I truly walked in darkness, physically and spiritually. Over the years, as the Lord has sanctified me, I have asked him to take my fear away, even just for one night. I would plead. My hands are bloodied from knocking on heaven's door over it. He has not taken it away. These were the fears that were paralyzing a human. Why? We all long to be wanted and in communion with others in the Lord. It's the way he made us to be because we are his Imago Dei, reflecting who he is. I sought communion with him, and I was afraid he wouldn't come through. That fear is one I'm sure y'all have felt before. It may look different than mine, but I know your fear is still there. Fear can be a sneaky thing. The thing with fear, at least mine, was that it was always behind me, behind my back, sneaking up on me and whispering in my ear. Fear made me become wrapped up in myself. The enemy wanted me to believe I was alone, encased in fear, in the dark. Looking around you, you see the world is filled with darkness. Because sin has permeated all of what we know, darkness and the enemy exist. Looking at it all, it's really exhausting. Hope seems to fly away as we see it. Darkness can seem trivial, like looking around the Great Hall and feeling like you have no friends or no one to sit with. Having that plaguing alone on a Friday night syndrome of viewing someone else's life as better than yours. Then it can grow in severity. Seeing those who have no home roaming the streets, tears welling up in the eyes of those who have lost their loved ones, murders, the sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when you receive an amber alert, orphan children, rape, racism, sexism. Darkness is truly all around us, friends. You see, the enemy works in this way. He wants you to believe there's no way of escape and certainly no freedom to be had. Our living and true Savior has something else to say about that. John 1 calls Jesus the light, saying, The true light, which enlightens everyone, has now come into, come into the world. In fact, Jesus calls himself the light of the world in John 8:12. Josh Garrell said it beautifully and simply when he stated, The light came down and cast the darkness away. Because Jesus is real, we have not just hope, but sure and steady confidence that he has defeated the darkness. The reality of Jesus, his work and presence, allows us to walk the darkness of life with the light of Christ. And there is so much freedom to be had. This is the reason David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. As I think back to my journey, I don't think fear is a sin. It's an emotion, a response, and in my case, a defense mechanism. Me wondering if God was with me during times of fear and being alone was not a sin either. Thinking I could cope with it on my own, not wanting to humble myself enough to ask for help, that's where my sin was. 
this past summer, a few months into my marriage, was the very first time I spoke to someone about it. In hindsight, I wish I had been humble and brave enough to have spoken about it. Like any struggle, sin will fester hidden in the dark and in secret. When sin comes to the light, then healing can begin. As I began to speak about it, the Lord revealed himself to me in ways I didn't know were possible. It can be illustrated with a story. I have two adopted little sisters from China, and they are the joys of my life, and they are super cute. When we went to China to pick up the first one at the rendezvous location, she quickly realized who my mom was going to be to her. She clung to my mom like a leech, not allowing my mom to do anything without holding her tight against her body in a constant hug. For about 36 hours, this carried on. My sister realized she had a mom now who would love her and not let her go in a literal sense, but also in a metaphorical one as well. The little moment I was able to capture was a manifested expression of how the Lord would begin the slow and painful journey of breaking down my fear. Slowly but surely, I began to bashfully and insecurely look fear in the eye. It took courage and I wasn't good at it. I feared that God would leave. I knew in my head I was his daughter, but I feared in my heart he was not present with me as my father. The Lord, in a very real sense, made his presence known to me in situations where I was frightened. Because he is real, he gave me grace to cling to him, much like my sister did to my mom, with opportunities to rest in and trust him. I realized then that the antithesis to fear is not necessarily bravery. Its antithesis is trust. Much afraid in Hernarn's high feet and high places speaks simply to the shepherd when she says, help me to trust you as much as I long to love you. Trusting that Jesus is real has changed everything about what I do and who I am. The reality of Jesus brings light and freedom even to the darkest of hearts. Instead of fear behind me, Christ is within me. Instead of fear whispering and sneering in my ear, God gently whispers, you are mine, I'm never letting you go. Instead of a bondage heart and shackled soul, I can shake the heavy chains off and dance. This freedom, helping us to know that we are soldiers, fights against the spiritual darkness in a battle that has already been won. The victor has been crowned, and his name is Yahweh, El Shaddai, Jehovah. In fact, our victor's glory and honor cannot be contained in a single name. His flag is already flying, and we are to take part in his celebration feast. Jesus has won the war, though you and I continue to fight and battle. I can look into the face of darkness and say that it cannot defeat me, and it never will, for Christ has already gone through its door in my stead. This is true freedom, one that is tangible and real. There is now freedom to live and enjoy what God has graciously and wonderfully put in our lives. <clears throat> like clouds streaming across the sky, the singing of a violin, the belly laughter of a child, eating popsicles during the summer, feeling small when you stand on top of a mountain, and watching birds play in bird baths. This freedom pushes us to an awaiting for our true home, risen with Christ in eternity. We are bound for it. On the inside of our wedding rings, Jack and I have a simple inscription, Canaan bound. We chose this as an Ebenezer, 
pushing us to remember, as Abraham and Sarah remembered years before, that we are but pilgrims on a journey to the promised land. In their case, it was Canaan. In the case of the follower of Jesus, it is ultimately his feet and glory forever. A man I worked with in children's ministry once told me, I think for the first 1,000 years, I'll set his feet in worship because I'll be too distracted to do anything else. Our groom has defeated darkness once and for all and has given freedom from sin because he is real, closer than a lover's kiss and closer than your very breath. Scripture says he lives to plead for you, not because we're so awesome, because we are so not, but because he is in the business of rescuing his children. As you consider what this means for you, I seek, you to challenge, I seek to challenge you to live in freedom because of the reality of Jesus. Maybe you aren't afraid of the dark, but you're afraid of being left out. Maybe your fear takes the form of deep and overbearing anxiety. Maybe you struggle with pride, depression, <coughs> anger, jealousy, lust, or prejudice. Our Savior has walked those ways for you already, so you can, much like Christian in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, leave your heavy burden to the one calling you to take up your cross and follow him daily. He who promised is faithful and will walk with you through the very present darkness. With hope, we can rest in the words of Isaiah 2.5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight, because you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen.